It's lovely to be with you this morning. My name is Vessel in the full. Um, I'm actually Afrikaans for those who wouldn't have figured it out. There's the English Vessel, um, which is Wesley, but it's the same thing. Hopefully, tell me if I'm moving too much or if I need to change anything, Eddie, or need to go back to the basics. Um, together with my wife, Antoinette, and our little beautiful girl there at the back who's smiling. Hopefully she can see me here. Um, we are part of the team that also serves on the leadership of this church. Um, it's been a while that I had the privilege of actually sharing. And um, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, hopefully I do get the chance to do so throughout the year. There's so many new faces. It's amazing to be um, you know, just at the start of a new year with so many new faces and things that we can be excited about. And um, so apart from what I get to do here this morning, I'm also in the marketplace, like many of you guys would find yourself as a day-to-day. -day. I'm part of a financial services uh, industry and um, work for asset management companies, so we look after some of the clients' money and very boring stuff um, until it's your own and then you want to speak about it, I found. Um, and another thing I thought about is that we, in less than a month's time, are going to be celebrating our little girl's first birthday. And it's insane to think how quickly time goes by. Um, the reason why I'm saying that is that the past year most probably have been one of the toughest years for myself. I've learned so much about myself. <laughs> and um, where I thought I was good at things, I actually weren't that much. I disappointed myself many times um, in the way that I handled things. And um, even in our marriage, we never really like had a bit of conflict or struggled. But this year, that little body <laughs> produced some conflict between us as well. And so the reason I'm saying these things is because it actually serves in the light of what I want to share this morning. We'll get there. Um, I was thinking, um, and we were those people. For the first time, I've got so much empathy for the parents that have flown with a kid before as we went to the free state to visit some family, um, things got a little bit long for her, leading up to the flight, and uh, she's got quite some lungs on her, and uh, I wish I had some noise-canceling headphones to hand out to the people around us for a little while. Um, so if you're that person or that parent or been there, um, just go rub the other parents back or something, just so show them that they're doing okay and they're going to be surviving because it you kind of start sweating at weird places when it gets too long and it's getting louder and louder and you don't know where to go because the plane can come very small. I've also thought, I want to share something about my family this morning. So my mom is a nurse and um, we uh, spent some time with them over the holidays and, and she, in her job, kind of visits people and she does these short-term or short like medical examinations, um, so kind of traveling nurse. And um, so a lot of the time she'll be with clients, and then um, I thought a message I want to share with you this morning would be what is then the thing that happens when my dad phones her. So whenever my dad phoned her, out of her handbag, the following would happen. Die Heere het jou lief. Broers and sisters, for ochend will I make you a deal. And so my mom's ringtone was that following message every time my dad phones. And someone would, with almost the greatest fright of their life, start looking at the handbag. So hopefully there's some handbag this morning of God telling you that he loves you and that he cares for you. And somewhere that message is going to come through this morning. So hopefully 
My mom's handbag is ringing for you this morning. We've changed that, so don't let the kids, the grandkids, play with your phone because they get things right that you can't fix. It's very difficult. We don't know how it happened, but it happened. And it's only when my dad phoned it. Anyways, that's a side note. It's got nothing to do with nothing. But hopefully somewhere along the line, God speaks to you this morning, and it might be from a handbag. I don't know, but hopefully not. So we're in 2023. For a lot of you, the track has been cleared. You most probably here in church this morning. We have lift off. You've clocked in at work. Some parents are either very nervously or excited about the fact that they get to go drop their kids off at school. It might be a long holiday. I don't know. Um, keeping kids busy over the holidays are quite a challenge. And um, there's some way that I hope you've had an opportunity to actually just reflect on 2022 and build some sense of excitement for the new year. Although I don't really think that God is limited to our calendar years, but it is something that's helpful, that gives us a sense of a fresh start this morning as we go into a new year. Um, so I've only started my timer now, so the introduction does not count. Just saying. Um, it's just Gareth that's laughing because he's normally the one that pushes the limit. <laughs> I've, I've got a, um, a target to hit, and that would be less than what Michael shared last week. So thanks, Michael. Not a tall order at all. Um, but my hope this morning is that we get to share something of a fresh start with an idea that's actually not so new, something that's been around for all ages, that has been redefined by Christ and is at the backbone of the gospel. And the idea would be that we actually get to draw near this morning. So I just also want to set us up this morning as we've kind of had a blank canvas. We're going to start a new preaching series going into um, next week and leading up to. We normally, if you haven't been to Common Ground Durbanville for last while or you're new to this, we normally go through a little bit of a structured series where we actually get to look at scripture very systematically. We all draw things out or we work through a book of the Bible or something. This morning, it's nothing like that. So I'm not going to systematically go through the scriptures. Um, I'm not going to have a sense of bullet points. I just have one big idea, and I hope that big idea actually could serve us this morning. And so can I pray first quickly before we jump into the scripture, um, just also more for myself. And uh, so Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that our hearts would be open. I pray that you would use me this morning, that you would get rid of myself and that I would be just um, be used by you this morning, Father God, to convey what you have on your heart for us as a church, for individuals, for us collectively. And I ask that your word would go out before us. I pray that our hearts would be receptive towards what you want to share this morning. And Father, I pray that, um, that in this there would be something that grips us and takes hold of us that we can take forward and that we can build upon. Father God, we, we put your word at a very high standard and we honor you for your scriptures, the fact that you speak to us and that you... Um, you value your word and that you say that it has been from the beginning of time that it is Jesus himself and that we get to experience you this morning in such a way. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and grip our hearts and our thoughts and, and make us in a way just paying attention to what you want to say to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go through Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. I'll read the scripture for us and, and then we can kind of kick off. 
In Hebrews 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. The main idea would come from this verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. And so whenever the writer, the, the writer of Hebrews has not specifically been known, there's been discussions and scholars have written a lot about this and the kind of consensus is that they don't know exactly who the writer is, much like we know Paul has written a lot of the New Testament and the letters. This is one of those that we actually don't know. But it doesn't really matter. This writer references therefore. Whenever there's that word, we actually need to pay attention because it means that there's something therefore that precedes. And so if we don't do that, we might just miss what this oak is wanting to say to us this morning. So let's just quickly think about what he says in Hebrews 10 preceding. So there's this idea of the fact that we can see a sacrificial um, sacrifice that goes on every year where the high priest actually needs to pay for the sins of the people as they were called by Jesus, the called people, um, his chosen people, and that needed to happen every year. It was never a complete thing. It needed to be repeated every year, washed clean by the, for our sins and mistakes. And so this moment changes all when Jesus comes along. He once for all made a sacrifice. One that is everlasting, that is for all of our sin, for that that was, that is, and that is to come. And he put that on himself. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we get access to that great cleanse, the fact that we would never need to go through any of those sacrifices again. And we are put in right standing with God because God then views us through the light of Jesus. In verse 12, we read um, where the writer says, But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness for these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus putting us in right standing. That is the reason, the sole reason why we can enter with confidence into God's presence. This scripture in 12 to 18, this thought of Jesus paying the ultimate price, lays the foundation of what we get to experience this morning. It, it is what we can build on as we go into this message. The gospel is the one truth that will never outgrow, we can't graduate from, and we can never forget it. Whether you've known God for many a year, or you just came to know God, or you don't even actually know God yet, and you're just looking into his claims, that message, Jesus dying on a cross, paying for our sins in full, is the one message that will be constant throughout time. Whether you've known God, whether you know God recently, or whether you are getting to know God, 
This is the ultimate truth. It's, it's quite complicated, and yet it's so simple. It's in the past, it's in the present, and it's in the future. And so if we think about this right standing, what, what's the consequence of this right standing? What does it actually enable us to do? If this is the promise, what's that leading us towards? If we want to answer this, I want to kind of start with the idea of the new year, 2023, and start by answering a little bit of where we might find ourselves in today. You might be here this morning because of a news resolution. I'm going to come to church more often. You might start to exercise. You might thought I'm going to do a little bit more in terms of studying. I want to do a short course, advance my career. Not going to do as much takeaways, maybe. But for many of us, we'll know that those things are almost empty promises to ourselves. As the year goes on, time makes less, and we struggle a little bit more to actually keep up with those promises to ourselves or resolutions that we made. And it's been happening for this year and the past and the past and so on and so on and so on and so on. And I can go on and on and on and on. And for some, it will be longer than others, and I won't go into that detail. Then age become a conversation, and I might say the most offensive thing today. But in the most basic, efficient thing we can do is actually just pay attention to this one call that the writer of Hebrews has, is this command to draw near. And this is set up by this scripture. In King James' reads, the same one that we read, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. He has one simple, deep, high, holy, seemingly impossible goal for us. His readers, us, this morning, what is he saying? He says, draw near. Draw near. The command is to draw near. But to what? It kind of gets repeated seven times in the book of Hebrews. And we can just highlight three of them. In Hebrews 4, 16, it says, Let us draw near with a confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in a time of need. Hebrews 7, 25 says, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. That is Jesus. Since he always lives to make an intercession for them. Hebrews 11, uh, 6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who draws near to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder for those who seek him. There's a great sense of passion from this writer, and he's clear and firm in his call for us to draw near to God. It's not coming near to God in a way that we would think, imagine going to Meet the queen. People are very humbled, lowly, almost feel a sense of unworthiness. Amazingly enough, God has not called us in that such a way. He's calling us in confidence. Not because of who we are, but actually just because of what Jesus has done. And so we can come confidently into his presence. And that's just because of Jesus. It's not limited to a physical place. In the Old Testament, they had to carry the presence of God with them as they moved around. Just imagine how limiting that would have been. 
That means if you didn't come here this morning, as an example, you would have no chance of being near to God. It's not a physical place. It's not building the Tower of Babel and thinking the closer we get to heaven, we are going to get closer to God. It's actually an act in our hearts. It's redirecting our hearts to the presence of God, who is as distant as the Holy of Holies and as close as the door of faith. But again, if we, if we little bit double-click and, and just ask the question, but how is this possible? How, how can we, if we think about the queen and we think about who's past and we think, or the king now, want to enter into their presence, it's, what's the odds of any of us ever experiencing that? And if we think about God, he's so much bigger than that. So why and how is that possible for us? It's the gospel. It's a simple message of the gospel. It's that preceding text. It's that what Jesus speaks about, making the way for us. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Ephesians 2.18, Through Christ we have our access in one spirit, to the Father. Romans 5.11, we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The reason Jesus paid this unfathomable price is for us to have fellowship with God. The sole purpose for Jesus dying on the cross is so that we can be reunited with God, that there's no distance, that we can enter into God's presence. That is the gospel. This is for our joy, not alone, but for God's glory as well. Let's be clear. God doesn't need for us to draw near to him. He'll still be God, and he'll be fine. In the fellowship of the Trinity, he'll be 100% fine. We need it. We need to be in his presence. If we get this right, there's an enlargement of his mercy and his grace. We get to be in his presence. We experience his son. And the only one thing that can truly satisfy us for eternity is God's presence. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't we want to know what our path looks like? Don't we want to experience a sense of joy? It's all at the right hand of God. The writer zones in on the gospel because that is the one thing that sets us up this morning, to be able to enter into God's presence, to be able to experience this joy. But in what manner? How does it look when we do this? So the writer says, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our bodies sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed. This is again that invitation saying that we don't need to be in a place where we need to wonder if we can be in God's presence. We can do this in confidence. We, we can come as we are. It's a true heart. The writer doesn't say, go and change X, Y, and Z, and then come. He says, come as you are, with a true heart. It doesn't 
necessarily justify us to come with our true hearts. It doesn't necessarily justify us to say that I've had a quarrel with my wife or I've been whatever sin or thing you're struggling with. That doesn't qualify us, but it's actually because of Jesus. And then he says, but come as you are. Come as you are in full confidence. I'm accepting you. There's a little bridge of faith that allows us to enter into God's presence this morning. And then we'll be cleansed and sprinkled. Our hearts would be set right. We would have a clear conscience. And he speaks about the baptism as our bodies are washed. But why does this matter? Why, why the idea of drawing near to God? What, what has it got to say? Because if you're anything like me, you're most probably thinking, can this guy maybe just give us some massive prophecy for the year? 2023 is going to be my year. It's going to be this exceptional thing. I'm going to be doing this and that. I'm going to be whatever the case might be. We're going to make promises about how God is going to bless us and, and all of these things. And we want to take hold of that. One, I'm not saying that those things aren't happening. And I'm not saying God is not great. And I'm not saying God is not um, paying attention to your desires and all of those things. But in essence, we're not designed for that. Or you're looking for like a 10-step plan. Let me apply these things for the year, and then I know 2023 will be successful. Just imagine the amount of books that have already been sold with the 10-step plan in whatever way or form. Why aren't people flourishing in life more often than not? Why don't we have so many millionaires that we can't keep track of because they just read a book? We're not designed for those things. We are designed to be in God's presence. We are designed to actually draw near to Him. We are designed to encounter God on a daily basis. And the more we encounter God, the less we'll be the same. The more we'll grow. If we get to take this call of the writer of Hebrews seriously, you know what will change? You'll come here this morning already soaked in God's presence, not looking to experience something of God just in this moment. You'll drive to work in the morning filled with God's presence, not anxious about your day. We'll most probably enter worship with a heart of thanksgiving. We'll worry less and be at peace more. Any of these moments that we get to experience God, the, the gathering of believers will be vastly different for us if we pay attention to the fact that we called to draw near to God. Because then we'll already be there. We won't come to try and get there when we get here. We'll be there. And these moments, every one of them, will be amplified. It will become bigger. It will become more of a God moment than you'll ever imagine. Maybe we need to take a breath and pause because Anne said that this morning, life is throwing everything at us. There's even these chatbots now that you can ask anything. Better than Google. He'll tell you answers, write you poems, give you the next price on the dollar, give you whatever you think you need to ask. This thing can do. The amount of information that is available currently in this world and that we get thrown with is vast. It's a lot. I love you.
What I want to say is that there's a very good chance that you won't be able to experience God in the way that this writer is calling us to do on your way into peak traffic in the mornings. Not necessarily in high-stressed moments. We sometimes look for God in these big moments, either the worship evening or the preach, or we put the emphasis on someone else to bring us that moment where God is most often than not in the whisper. We need to learn to be still. Very difficult for us. And nowadays, it is very difficult for us. We need to be able to lean into the awkwardness of the silence of our own thoughts, allowing our hearts and our ears to listen to that sweet, sweet whisper of our Creator. Most probably that will be the most difficult thing, is to calm our thoughts and our minds, creating moments of solitude where we can draw near to God. It won't come naturally because the world is making sure that we feel connected and we get notifications and we've got thoughts and plans and things to worry about. If we pause that, I want to zoom in on a little bit of another thought in terms of encountering God. And I thought about Old Testament characters, um, the likes of Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. They all had these life-changing moments when they encountered God. I want to zoom in on just one of them and then a little bit on Paul's life or Saul as he used to be known in the New Testament. But let's zoom in on Jacob. So we've covered a little bit of his life and some of the past series, but maybe just to highlight a few things. He was, this, he was born into a family that was called by God. He was the brother of Esau, his older brother. His mother was a favorite of his father. And then in that she had him as a favorite to his brother Esau. And, and she kind of encouraged him and, and helped him to steal his eldest brother's birthright. And that created quite a moment. He conned his dad and made him believe that he's his eldest brother, um, Esau. And then obviously Esau wasn't too happy about it. And the way they solved conflict a lot of the times those days were they just killed someone. So he left, fled the country. His mom told him to go. In that time, he met up with some family, he fell in love, worked for a, the hand of a lady, which he, not, he didn't get, needed to work a little bit longer, and so in essence ended up with two wives, and in that God started blessing him, and his flock grew, and his riches grew, and there came a time when God called him to go back to his homeland um, and meet with his brother again. And so just imagine the kind of fear that this oak is sitting with um, as he's actually heading back to meet with his brother, no WhatsApps, no checking in to say, hey, bro, are we on good terms? Can I come? Or uh, how is this going to work? He literally had to pack up everything, walked with all of his, um, his possessions, whether it be um, family, whether it be all of his um, animals that he had at the time. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 32 from 22. It says, the same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, 
I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have strifed with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. For me, this moment is such a vivid picture of what happens when we come face to face with God. Jacob, taking into consideration all he's been through, where he's heading, was sure that if he gets a chance to be with God, he's not going to let go of it. He was leaning in, seriously leaning in, drawing near. It's not a moment where he had a kumbaya around the campfire with God. He wrestled with him. And something in his life physically changed forever. He was touched in his hip socket. He had a limp for the rest of his life. He even had a name change by encountering God. There's, there's something that is lacking in the sense of our encounters with God. If we think about Paul on his way to Damascus, this oak most probably thinking that he's quite zealous for God, going to go kill the Christians because they're proclaiming something that's not in um, the teachings that he's studying, and God strikes him with a light off his horse, and he's blinded for three days. Something in the physical happens. He gets led away. He also undergoes a name change to Paul. So what has these encounters got to do with drawing near to God? I might just want to argue that we can't be drawing near to God without encountering Him, running the risk of these encounters with God. The writer of Hebrews speaks about it often. There's this call, there's this command, draw near. James is doing the same thing. He says in James 4.8, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It says so much similarity between what James is writing and the Hebrew writer writes. He's spurring us on. He's calling us, commanding us to draw near to God. We only get to do so because of Jesus. If we want to understand the fullness of what God has actually in store for us, we need to have intimacy with Him. There's no way for us to gain intimacy with God without drawing near to Him. It's not going to happen just by rocking up at church and ticking the boxes. It's not going to happen by just going to life group. It's not going to happen just by entering some sense of worship or listening to a podcast on your way to work. I want to highlight maybe the idea of the difference between being near and drawing near. Have you ever, most probably all of us, in some sense of our lives, have either lived with another person, whether it be a family member growing up, you studied somewhere and you had a digs mate or someone that's your roommate at varsity or recently got married or you've got a spouse or whatever the case might be, but you've actually lived with another person in a home. 
We could be spending countless hours with those people without actually knowing them. I know of people that stay in the same home and they almost never see each other because life is so busy. And so if you ask them how they're doing, they can't actually answer, but they're in the same area. They're being near to each other, but they have no idea. Or maybe, like myself, you find yourself guilty. You're sitting right next to the person on the couch doing this. And so you're there, but you're not. We've got thousands of friends linked to whatever social media, and you feel so connected, and you know everything about their life, but actually nothing. Because you don't know what's going on in their hearts. You have no idea what the challenges they faced. You have no idea the fact that they just posted this event that is so life-changing on the mountain somewhere. In the meantime, they've considered the idea of suicide. But from outside perspective, it seems like this person has got it all together. And we can be in a similar vein with God. How much of this has actually become a reality in our walk with God? That we rely so much on the external experiences to feed our nearness with God. That when we come to church, that is the thing. We tick the box. And, and we do that so often. And we've got almost on our New Year's resolutions. Like, I'm going to come to church and then tick the box. But halfway through, you're like, I don't feel closer to God. I have no idea why, but I don't feel near to God. We can't live our lives through the testimonies of others. We can't. And journey in terms of his transplant couldn't be experienced through another person. No one else can go through that for him. You need to go through that on your own. And we can't live that testimony for him. He needs to live that testimony. I can't tell you what he went through by standing here and reliving what he's gone through in a sense or trying to explain, testifying what God has done. Yes, we can in a way of glorifying God, but you can't experience God in a way through others. We can only do it through Jesus. So we need to get into Jesus' presence. We need to be near him. We need to draw and lean in. Look, I'm not saying don't come to church. It's also not helpful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't do corporate worship. I'm not saying don't go to your life group. I'm not saying don't listen to podcasts. I'm not saying don't read things or books that will be helpful. But those things should be a function of our nearness to God. That should be the working out of our nearness to God. It shouldn't be the place where we try and find our nearness to God. There's two things I want to highlight. If we go back to those Bible characters, the one had a great desire to know and please God, Jacob, although many faults were made. He had a few things that in today's terms wouldn't have, <laughs> most probably a law. He would have uh, gotten sorted out. But he had this desire to lean in and, and come closer to God. And then there's Paul or Saul when he still didn't know Jesus. We can have encounters with God, one, where God is intervening in our lives. Paul knocks you off your horse and God rips you out of your place. But once that has happened, we need to be like Jacob, wrestling with God, knowing that we don't want to leave that space without being touched by God. 
And just imagine if we actually get to do that on a daily basis or frequently. Every encounter that is a hip that's touched and changed forever. How much of that change will become a reality in our lives? Little by little, we cannot be near to God without encountering God. And the more encounters we have with God, the closer we'll grow to Him. The more like Jesus we'll become. Can I ask the band to maybe make their way up? So what if we take one responsibility this year? We play a high, place a high value on the call of the writer of Hebrews. Draw near to God. If we do that, and we do the, de- the therefore, every time we'll be reminded about the gospel. Every time you spend time with God, you'll be reminded about the gospel because Jesus is the one that makes the way for us to be in his presence. So you glorify Jesus because of what he's done for us. We'll come to these meetings with a different experience. We'll enter into a sermon series coming up with a way different expectation. Imagine if we do that on a daily basis. What it would be like at pro level once we get to heaven. That's what we've been designed for, is to be in God's presence. We have been called to draw near to him. And we get to do that today, tomorrow, the day thereafter. So, maybe a challenge for you. What if you, like many people, would write down goals for 2023? Or if you struggle with that, you think about what is the one thing that you're most scared of or nervous about or fearing for the year of 2023? Or the flip side, what are you most excited about? And then you go and you write those things down. And then you forget about them. And you do this one thing. You draw near to God. And then I want you to put a reminder to go and look at the things that you wrote down at the end of this year. But take only the one responsibility of drawing near to God. I'm not saying don't have goals. I'm not saying don't be driven by things in life that you've called to talents treasures that we need to live up to, but I'm saying sometimes we focus on the wrong thing. Make drawing near to God in His presence the one thing that you can focus on today. We're going to spend some time in communion. I'm going to ask Anne to lead us in that moment, but for me, it's no greater way of starting something like that, the thought, what we get to celebrate. Jesus on a cross, His body broken, and his blood that flowed for our sins, putting us in right standing. And that enables us to enter into God's presence. And that enables us to draw near. And so if you can remember one thing, and if you've got one task for the year, do this as frequently as possible. Place it on a high value. And be in God's presence as often as you can.